the Lord Jesus had sent his disciples on a mission throughout the villages and towns to preach the gospel of the kingdom and to heal the sick and preach repentance. And this is where we pick up the reading this morning. In Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 14. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying John the Baptist had been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he is Elijah, and still others claimed he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to, because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, Ask me for anything you want, and I will give it to you, unto half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried into the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed because of his oaths and his dinner guests. He didn't want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in prison and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. And on hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Here ends the reading. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I wasn't quite sure whether it was right now that I was coming up. So here we are. I'm here. Let's uh, pray and ask for God's help, shall we, as we understand this. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful privilege of gathering together, of being here and now with your word open to learn from you. Please, Heavenly Father, speak to us by your spirit that we might know you, that we might be better equipped to serve you and have greater courage to walk with you and to proclaim Jesus. And we ask this in his name. Amen. 
Well, courage is a big thing, isn't it? And plucking up the courage to share our faith with others can be a really big deal. I don't know where you are. Some people naturally will do it. Others just shrink and they find it hard. What will my friend make of it? Will I be written off completely? If you do Christmas cards at all, you might be scrubbed off the list and that may offend you or it may not offend you. What if this is the only chance I get? You know the importance of someone hearing the gospel and becoming a Christian and if it's the only opportunity you get, you feel this compulsion to say something. More than anything, I long for them to know Jesus, the Jesus in the Bible. I long for them to repent and believe the gospel. But, there's the huge but, isn't there? All sorts of things come in. Does that resonate for you? The fear of being rejected for sharing our faith, I think, is very real. And Jesus knows that it's a real thing. Mark addresses it head on, not just in our passage, but in the passages around it. Jesus sends out the disciples and he warns them. Do you see that in verse 11? So just before our passage. Verse 11, and if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. You walk away. Jesus is very real that there will be opposition. And so the main thrust, I think, of our verses is that some will accept that Jesus as, Jesus, as the rightful king, but many will reject There's a realism there. John was the great evangelist. Thousands upon thousands went to him and he preached repentance. Read that at the beginning of Mark's gospel. He was arrested and now he is preaching to Herod. uh, We're told that Herod saw him as a righteous and holy man who called him to repentance John uh, upholds and holds out the gospel. And we have here, what we have here is an insight, I think, into how and why people reject Jesus. I hope that as we explore Herod and how he responds in the different situation, we see how God actually is exposing his heart. John tells him what's wrong and what's going on in his heart. And for us, as we share with people, we may not see it, but there will be a conflict. There will be a wrestling going on in people's hearts because everyone is living one way, aren't they? And when we come into contact with the gospel, they're called to live another way. And that's what we have here. In a sense, it's a microscope into Herod's heart. So I've got three things of Herod from the passage here of what's going on for him as the gospel comes to him. Well, the first thing is, there's no rocket science here, by the way. You would be able to come up with these things very easily. First thing, Herod's sin is exposed. Herod's sin is exposed. It's crucial. No one can come under the lordship of the Lord Jesus until they first understand that they're out of fellowship with him. There is no easy way of coming into the kingdom. There's no soft way of coming into the kingdom. 
We're sinners who need to repent. We're sinners who need to change. We're people walking one way who need to walk another way. We have minds fixed in one way, but then they've got to be changed. And it's crucial we understand that. And what had Herod done? Well, Herod had married his brother's wife, Herodias. However, the problem, the problem was for him in that is that marriage was against the law. Now, in one sense, if you're coming to this completely fresh, you may think, well, that's not a problem. Here's the king. He's the one in charge. Change the law. The problem was this marriage was against God's law, was against the holy God. You see, you're not allowed to marry your brother's wife in the eyes of God. Do that, you're out of kilter. You're out of step. Whatever the rest of your life is like, you're out of fellowship with the living God. Herod has broken God's law. And John keeps reminding him of it. Herod is being called to repentance. John is placing his sin before him. You are wrong. And Herod keeps listening. That's the amazing thing, isn't it? He does keep listening. What will Herod do? And I think this is one of the big things that we have to see, that when someone's heart, in a sense, is exposed, their sin is exposed, what do we got to do? Well, you're either going to side with Jesus and turn to him, or you side against him and you turn away. You repent or you don't repent. Herod is hearing, but he's not repenting. He's not changing. Very early on in my ministry, there was a lady who started coming along to church. She had uh, had had a failed marriage. I think she may even had two failed marriages. And, um, And she was currently living with another man. She became a Christian. It was a wonderful moment. And... She was reading her Bible on her own, and she came, up, she came to these passages about marriage. She came to passages about marriage. She came and saw me and said, I've got it wrong, haven't I? And I said, yeah. In the, the world, with your heart now in this place, you need to be married. You need to marry the man you're living with. He didn't want to get married. She did want to marry And wonderfully, in God's kindness, they did get married. That's someone, you see, who does land well. So here's the first thing, though. For Herod, Herod's sin is exposed. Second, Herod's allegiance is exposed. Who is he looking to? Who, in the end, is he going to fear? Who, in the end, is going to be more important? For him. John's preaching had affected Herod and Herodias in different ways. It enraged Herodias. You see that in verse 19? Uh, so Herodias nurse, n- nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. Well, that's pretty clear, isn't it? She hated him. 
By contrast, Herod experienced a range of conflicting emotions. He feared John and actually had him protected against his wife's plots. He was moved by John's preaching. There was something in him that saw that this was good. He recognized that John was a holy man and there was something very attractive by that. He liked to listen to him, we're told in verse 20. Herod's conscience was at this stage sufficiently softened that there was something in this. There was something in this, if you like, Christianity thing. There was something in this about Jesus. But Herod had a big problem. All the time he was listening to John, he was under the grip of Herodias. There was a greater allegiance, if you like. This story, with its tragic ending, exposes Herod's allegiance. In the end, he feared man or woman, in this, his case, more than he feared God. Would he turn and believe the message John preached or stay with the Herodias? Spurgeon uh, showed a, a lovely story of this. as It's easier to pull someone down than it is to be pulled up. Easiest to drag someone away from the Lord than it is to drag them up trusting more when their allegiance is compromised. And so many people I meet who express an interest in the gospel and really deep down want to believe. And that's when we're sharing with people we're encouraged and trust and want to trust in Jesus. But in effect, they're doing the same. They may well be doing the same as Herod. They listen. They inquire. They may even stand up for Christianity. They may even defend it. But there is something in this life that is too precious and cannot be given up. The cost may be too great. The idea of uh, Savior and Lord do not come together. They're driven apart. They like the Savior bit. I want my life to be better. But will I come under someone? Will I come under Jesus as my Lord? Accepting his authority. See, there's something that keeps people on the fence. But in the end, pulls them back. Pulls them down. My experience, what holds people back as much as anything else is the same as it was for Herod. It's a relationship. It's people we fear more than we fear the Lord. What will my wife, my husband think? What will the family think? What will they think at the rugby club? What will they think in the staff common room tomorrow at school? And that fear becomes greater than the one that needs to sort out their heart. So we have uh, Herod's sin is exposed, his allegiance exposed, and now his pride is revealed, which is really then the fruit of having this uh, heart that is so compromised. You see, the manner in which the issue was finally settled is very revealing. 
Like John, Herodias knew Herod's weakness better than he did himself. She knew that sin never exists in isolation, really. Not only was Herod an adulterer, he was full of self-importance and pride. He throws this party. It seems to be a ghastly, drunken affair. And Herodias seizes her moment and sends her daughter, Salome, to dance for them. And in a moment of foolish boasting, it's this one of, I'm the king here, I'm the boss here, I'll promise all this. He was so carried away that he promised her anything in return for her performance. It must have got great cheers from those around him. They would have, all those would have loved saying, well, I'm part of this. But imagine for, the moment, for a moment the noisy revelry the drunk men full of uh, their drunkenness. And you can imagine the silence falling as Salome responds to this foolish offer. Verse 25, At once the girl hurried into the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Herod now is trapped, isn't he? Utterly trapped. His guests knew it. Salome knew it. Herodias knew it. He knew it. There was only one way of escape. He must lose faith before all the drunken guests and break his promise. Oh, but he can't do it. See, the cost is too high. He would rather lose John than his own status. He is not landing well. He's not landing well. And that's what rejection looks like. That's what it looks like to be rejecting the King, the Lord Jesus. It's putting our own reputation, it's putting our own lives first. And I think Herod is a tremendous lesson for us. It's an insight into all our hearts, actually. We may not be in that, in that scenario. I hope you'll never find yourself in that scenario, but it does reveal our hearts, doesn't it? Herod was not unique. With the gospel coming, these are the things that are going on for each of us. He never seemed to be ready to be making a decision for Christ. I think that's one of the big things that's challenged me. In the end, the decision was forced on him. Because he would never make a decision, the decision then came to him. And it was at a time when he was least ready to make it. And so, you see, in dealing with your sin, coming face to face with it, there will never be a time when you're more ready than now, than right now. It was, in the end, Herod's great mistake. He kept listening. John, come back. Tell me again. And I'm sure John would have just told him the same thing again and again. And I say this not only because there will not be a better time, but there's another dimension to it as well, which I've really been exercised and uh, thought, tried to think through. You see, to continue to sit on the fence with Jesus will only lead to a hardened conscience. 
towards spiritual things. You think you're remaining neutral. You think you're remaining open. But spiritually, you're becoming harder and harder and harder. That was what was happening for Herod. Think for a moment. My sin is exposed. I feel awful. It may even grip me. I don't know whether there's a particular scenario that's ever happened in your life when you just know immediately you're wrong. And you are wrong. It grips you, perhaps even consumes you, and you know you must deal with it, but you've got to clear the garden shed. You've got to finish the cooking. You've got to clear out the garden. Whatever it is, there's something you've just got to do. And you go off and do it. And tomorrow you think again of that sin and it didn't seem so bad. After all, you slept, you've got up and life's gone on. I'm here today. There's been no great bolt that's come out and condemned me. Then a week goes by, and then the months go by, the years go by, and it just has no effect on you. And what has gripped me once now seems such a piffly little thing. It's no big deal at all. Why did I get so hung up about that? But the lesson is clear, you see. Unless you silence sin, that is, come to the one who can deal with it, sin will silence you. Sin will silence your conscience. You'll be utterly blurred. It won't matter what's right or wrong anymore. That's what sin will do. Unless we heed God's word, you see... There is Herod standing before John the Baptist and John the Baptist is telling him the truth and he just won't move. The day may come, you see, when we despise, the day may come when we despise God's son and then there is nothing more that God can do for us. That's Herod. That's his heart. And his ultimate rejection of Jesus. I'm wanting to show what it is for a, a heart that is compromised and ends up unbelieving. But I don't know you. If that is you this morning, please don't leave without seeing someone. That is the big lesson from some of this, isn't it? Please don't leave. See Joel. He can come up to me. I may be a bit more neutral. Maybe a bit easier. Come and talk to me. I'd love to chat to you. But with regards to our witness, let me come back to the the very beginning. With, With regards to our witness, we're speaking into this sort of battle every time we talk to someone about the Lord Jesus. I think there are two important lessons for us. First, seems like a very big and general one. Don't be surprised. When people won't believe? I think Jesus is teeing that up very, very clearly. Don't be surprised by negative responses to the gospel. Although this gospel may be really clear to us, and we just can't see it, 
that others don't get it. Well, in God's kindness, he's opened your eyes. The evidence for us may be obvious. We have made that step. And we see it in people's, you see, unwillingness, that blindness, if you like, is there, and their unwillingness to turn around their lives to him. Like Jesus, uh, sometimes we will be amazed at uh, the lack of faith in others, that they don't live with Jesus as their king. And we'll be at our wit's end. What more can I do? We long for people not to reject Jesus. But the message here is that we mustn't be surprised when this does happen, when people do reject. Because at the end of the day, uh, end of the day, to believe means to swallow our pride. It's to acknowledge I can't sit on the fence. It's to know that I am wrong and come to Jesus. But don't be surprised when people don't. And so don't be surprised that people we thought were so close, people that we'd had such uh, encouraging conversations with, don't commit to him. I can think of people who started coming to uh, my fellowship, St. James's. Almost everyone is James at St. James's. I am. My assistant is James. So I think it's when... I, I get to the age which I very nearly am at when I can't remember my name. If I can remember the church, I might sort of get some things right. But I, know, I remember people who listened and they went to Christianity, explored courses, got to know people, but they stopped. There was nothing more. A point came when the seed had been sown the promising and the promising start just evaporated. It's a thrill when we see people keep coming, yes, but not all of them stay. Not all of them come to faith. Not all of them repent and believe. Like Herod, they listen for a while, but when they come off the fence, they land badly. They land on the wrong side. They don't want their lives changed. And now they may not even believe that Jesus is who he says he is. So don't be surprised by the negative response to the gospel. Jesus was preparing his disciples for it. Then secondly, as a result, the great temptation is, well, if people won't hear what I'm plainly putting before them, maybe I've got to put something else before them. So I want to encourage you, don't, uh, don't be tempted to play down the message. Negative responses can lead us to, to do that. Jesus is the king. Repent and believe the good news. There's everything in that opening, the opening few verses of Mark's gospel. Jesus is the king. John preaches repentance and faith. Jesus, the first words Jesus says, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe. We cannot escape that that's what it is. Jesus is God. He's come to rescue us, repent and believe. And I've heard so many presentations that feel so close to it but are not that. 
the promise of problems going away, the promise of a wonderful, easy life, the promise of friendship with God, even the promise of a lovely church to belong to. But unless people know that the good news is essentially the king, this King Jesus, that Jesus is the king, and the only way into his kingdom is through repentance and faith, and understand what that really means, then they have not heard the gospel at all. Jesus was totally upfront. Count the cost, he says, before you decide. Know what it is. Look at the small print before you sign up. All those, uh, you know, those legal contracts we have, they tell you all the, everything in big print is just all the lovely stuff that we'll just say yes to straight away. And then there's the little bits, isn't there? But actually here, Jesus is saying the little bits are actually in bold. He's saying know what it's going to be. Know what it's about. So don't play it, downplay the message just because lots don't believe. It may be uncomfortable for people to know what repentance means, but we must keep showing it. And like Herod, that there may be very, there may be very specific issues involved that the gospel addresses. People have got to wrestle with deep things in their lives. And John, that's the example of John, isn't it? He didn't move from it. He didn't say, oh, well, let's show you this, Herod. All we're told is he told him he was wrong. So here is a dose of realism as we share this wonderful good news. Don't be surprised that people do reject the gospel. They land on the wrong side. It happened to Jesus, the disciples, John the Baptist, they were rejected. So don't be surprised. And secondly, keep to the gospel handed down. Don't be tempted to downplay it in any way. And here's the big thing of all of it. Jesus wins. His promise is the kingdom will grow. We think, oh, I keep getting rejected. It's all hopeless. But Jesus' big thing is, it's going to grow. This kingdom's going to grow. See, the previous verses back in chapter 4, we have the parable of the seed growing the gospel. God will grow the gospel. The parable of the mustard seed, tiny, insignificant seed, grows to be the largest and the strongest. And after our verses, isn't it interesting, straight after this, we have the feeding of the 5,000. What's happening there? Jesus blesses in the most extraordinary way. He is saying, I can feed you supernaturally. And I can do it in a far greater way than you could ever imagine. He wins. We get discouraged. We think it's not working. We must remember Jesus wins. He will grow his kingdom. Keep saying the things he's shown you to say. And he will do great things. Let's pray, shall we? As gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for Jesus and the good news that he brings. Thank you that he speaks into the depths of our souls. 
He shows us what is most needed. So give us courage to hold on and to hold out your wonderful gospel. And may we watch and see what you will do as you bring, as you grow your kingdom, as you bring people to yourself in repentance and faith. Thank you for your great plan. Thank you for including us. In Jesus' name, amen.